Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's word and apply his message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Hi, welcome tonight to Romans chapter 11. The title tonight is, How Long Will You Go Limping with Two Different Opinions? We're studying tonight Romans chapter 11, but 9, 10, and 11 go together. Remember back in Romans 9, Paul said, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed, and I cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, my race. They are Israelites, and to them belong the sonship, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and of their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Amen. They had it all, the Jews, the Israelites. God had revealed himself to the Israelite nation first out of all the people in the entire world. Jesus Christ of Nazareth was the Jewish Messiah, the Son of God, the Anointed One, the Christ. But most Jews did not believe Jesus was the Anointed One. Shocking, I know. How many U.S. Catholics believe in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist today? Shocking. Yes, shocking. Just one-third of U.S. Catholics agree with their church that the Eucharist is the body and blood of Christ. It's shocking. But the true presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, a Pew Research study in August of 2019, said about 6 in 10, 63% of the most observant Catholics, those who attend Mass at least once a week, accept the Church's teaching about the transubstantiation and the true presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Shocking. We're no different. How long will you go limping with two different opinions? Paul says, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is righteousness through faith, but that Israel who pursued the righteousness, which is based on the law, did not succeed in fulfilling the law. Paul is making this argument for us in chapter nine. Why? Because they did not pursue it through faith, but as if it were based on works and they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. It is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone that will make men stumble, a rock that will make them fall. And he who believes in him will not be put to shame. We talked about Jesus last time, the stone, the stumbling block. Many of the Jews missed it. They missed their own Messiah. They missed the clues, the hidden clues that were revealed to them in the Old Testament. Well, of course, the Holy Spirit had not been poured out for the first 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So their minds aren't yet illuminated. But then he was poured out on Pentecost. And the Jews still, many of the Jews still failed to believe. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? Is he the Christ or is he not? The scripture says in Romans 10, no one who believes in him, in Jesus, will be put to shame. But many would not believe. Salvation was offered to all. Paul said in Romans 10, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and bestows his riches upon all who call upon 
upon him for everyone. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Salvation was offered to all, but not all wanted salvation. Not all called upon the name of the Lord. They didn't believe Jesus was Lord. Jesus was God. Jesus was the Messiah. Not all believed he was Lord, the Son of God, the Messiah who had entered the world to save the entire world. And Paul tells us that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. But not all wanted to be baptized into the Holy Spirit. Not all wanted to submit to baptism. It reminds me of the story back in 2 Kings 5, where we saw Naaman, the the commander of the Syrian army, king of Syria, a great master, but he got leprosy. And he's sent to wash, Elisha, the prophet, sends him to wash in the Jordan River, the dirty, filthy Jordan River. He said, we have way better rivers in Damascus. But once he submits to (laughs) baptism, it's not baptism, but symbolically washing in the Jordan River. He's made clean. He's made new. Paul is trying to tell them something in this triplet of chapters 9, 10, and 11. Paul interrupts his main argument in this letter, in this epistle, with this three chapters right in the middle, 9, 10, and 11. You could cross them out. You wouldn't miss a beat if you went from Romans 8 straight to Romans 12. But we can't do that because Paul has inserted it in the center of his letter for a specific reason. These three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, are critical to our understanding of God's overall plan for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are crucial to Paul's main argument. They provide the needed framework, the needed context for his main argument. So let's see what he says in Romans 11. I ask then, has God rejected his people? He's talking about the Jews. By no means. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Now you remember Benjamin from last year in Genesis when Jacob is dying and giving each son his final blessing. And he says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. This is a reference to this tribe, Benjamin. Benjamin that will have a fierce reputation in battle as history progresses. Paul was descended from Benjamin. He's the youngest son of the patriarch Jacob. And remember his beloved wife, Rachel. Benjamin is the son of Rachel. Rachel is who Jacob met at the well, that incredible love story. Love it for its sight. He worked seven years for Rachel, but Uncle Laban tricked Jacob, you'll remember, and Leah had to become his first wife by deceit. He had to work another seven, a total of 14 years to attain Rachel as a bride. If you recall, there were four wives that made up the maternity of the 12 tribes of Israel, of Jacob. But Jacob's favorite wife of the four was the one he loved the most, Rachel. And she died giving birth to Benjamin. On the road to Bethlehem, the spot is still there where she was buried outside of Bethlehem. Many Jewish women and and other faiths come to Rachel's grave to pray there, a mother crying out at this grave for the suffering of her children. But also another famous Benjamite was the first king of Israel, King Saul. He too was from the tribe of Benjamin. And this Saul, Paul, who writes this letter of Romans, was an overly zealous Pharisee named after King Saul who met the risen Christ and he was blinded on the road to Damascus by the uncreated light of the Messiah, the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, who he had been blind to previously. So Paul goes on and says, I ask then, has God 
rejected his people. By no means. I'm an Israelite. I'm a descendant of Abraham, and I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected those he foreknew. Paul knows it's not over. It's all part of God's plan. Do you not know that the scripture says what it says about Elijah, that he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed thy prophets. They have demolished thy altars. I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what was God's reply to Elijah? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now, we have to go back. Paul has spoken previously about Moses, the great lawgiver. Now Paul is turning to Elijah, the great prophet. Elijah never tasted human death. You'll recall in 2 Kings 2 how he and Elisha were walking and talking and a fiery chariot came with fiery horses and separated the two of them and Elijah went to heaven in a fiery windstorm, throwing his mantle down to Elisha. The Jews believed that Elijah would have to come again, would have to return before Messiah could come. And Jesus himself told us in Matthew 11, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John the Baptist. And if you are willing to accept it, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So John the Baptist and the great Elijah, a precursor for the final prophet, the great prophet, both of them, God's Old Testament prophets, often died a martyr's death. The last Jewish martyred prophet before Christ, John the Baptist, the first Christian prophet to be martyred before Christ, Stephen the deacon, the Greek Jew who converted to Christianity. You stiff-necked people, he says, before his death, uncircumcised in heart, and you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Stephen is calling them out for murdering their own Messiah. You who have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth against him and they storm him and they kill him. Many of the prophets were killed for speaking the truth, most of them. Moses the lawgiver and Elijah the great were both present at that transfiguration of Jesus Christ. And Jesus on the road to Emmaus, the risen Christ, recalls the words of these great figures in Jewish history. Oh, you foolish men, you're so slow of heart to believe all the all that the prophets have spoken, Moses and all the prophets. And Jesus interpreted all the scriptures concerning himself, all the predictions, all the clues. He was telling them point blank, but they had not put it all together yet. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet poured out on them until Pentecost. That Holy Spirit will make a huge difference in their illumination and their understanding. But Jesus at this point calls them slow of heart to believe Moses and the prophets. But when he breaks the bread with them, all of a sudden they recognize him and he's gone. Why could they recognize him? Because he's offering one of the first masses as the risen Christ. And at the mass, the Holy Spirit always comes down in the epiclesis. And when the Holy Spirit is present, their eyes were illuminated and they knew it was the risen Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah. Now, which of the episodes of Elijah's life is Paul referring to in Romans 11? Because all the Jews would have known. These are their scriptures. They would have totally known what Paul was talking about, but we don't. So I want to refresh us. It's at the time of the divided kingdom. Remember, there's the south, Judah, and the north, Israel. And we're up in northern Israel. And we're at the time of King Zimri and King 
Omri and King Ahab. This would be about Ahab in 871 to 852 before Christ. Elijah on Mount Carmel is the story. Omri was king of Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, did more evil than all before him. And in the sins which he made Israel to sin, provoking the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger by their idols. His son will be the next king. Omri dies and Ahab takes over. Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who went before him. King Ahab of Israel made an Asherah. This is a fertility god. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. This is the time Elijah lives in, and he's a prophet to King Ahab. During this time in the reign of Ahab, the Lord will allow a severe three-year famine in Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel. And Ahab has a wicked, wicked wife, Queen Jezebel. They were ruling northern Israel, and they were always a thorn in the side of the prophet Elijah. Jezebel, the daughter of the priest king, Ethabaal, ruler of the coast of the Phoenician cities, now Lebanon. But in the Bible, those cities were called Tyre and Sidon. She had become known as an archetype of a wicked, wicked woman. We don't see a lot of babies being named Jezebel, right? When Jezebel married Ahab, she persuaded him to introduce the worship of the Tyrian god Baal Melkart, a nature god. And Jezebel tried to destroy those who opposed her, and many prophets of Yahweh were killed at her command. Just as in the New Testament, Queen Herodias was not a fan of the new Elijah, John the Baptist. And Herodias won the head of John the Baptist on a platter after her daughter did a seductive dinner dance for Herod. Jezebel also, once the God's prophet of the Old Testament, Elijah, dead. And God will send a severe three-year drought as a divine retribution for the evil leadership in Israel. So in 1 Kings 18, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year of the drought, saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will make rain come upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said, "Ah, is it you, O troubler of Israel? I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. And therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. The Ahab sent all the people of Israel. He gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came nearer to all the people and said, how long will you go limping with two different opinions? That's our theme tonight. How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow the Lord. But if Baal is God, then follow Baal. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood and I will put no fire to it. I will prepare the other bull, lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. You call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first for you are many and call upon the name of your God, no fire put to it. And they took the bull, which was given them. They prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar, which they had made. 
And at noon, Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is, if he's a god, maybe he's musing. Maybe he's gone aside. Maybe he's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep, taking a nap. Maybe you could awaken him. They cried louder. They cut themselves as was their custom with swords and lances and blood gushed out upon them. Self-mutilation. And at midday, they raved on until the time of the offering. No oblation. There was no voice. No one answered. No one heeded. Then Elijah said to the people, come near me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. He took 12 stones, according to the 12 tribes of Israel, to whom the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the 12 stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar as great as could contain two measures of seed, two bushel baskets deep, this trench. And he put the wood in order and he cut the bowl in pieces. He laid it on the wood. He said, fill four jars with water. All the ordinal directions, fill four jars with water, pour it on the burnt wood, on, on the offering. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time, drenched it. The water ran around the altar. It filled up the trench with water. And at the time of the oblation, the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O God of Israel, O God of Abraham, of Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that thou, O Lord, art God and that thou hast turned their hearts back. Remember his initial question, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And the fire of the Lord fell and did it ever fall. The fire of the Lord consumed the burnt offering. It consumed the wood, the stones. The fire of the Lord consumed the dust. It licked up the water that was in the trench. And all the people, when they saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They knew Elijah's God, the God of Israel was the one true God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook of the Kishon and killed them there. And Elijah said to King Ahab, get up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of rushing rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. Remember, it hasn't rained for three years. Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. He bowed himself down below the earth. He put his face between his knees and he said to his servant, go up now toward the sea. The Mediterranean Sea was in the distance. He looked up, he looked and said, there's nothing. And Elijah said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, the servant said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand is rising out of the sea. Behold, a little cloud, like the man's hand is rising out of the sea. I want you to remember that. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and let go, lest the rain stops you. In a little while, the heavens grew black, the cloud, the winds, and there was a great rain. Three years of drought and it was pouring rain. Ahab rode and went back to Jezreel and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Jezebel was extremely angry. And when she was told that Elijah had killed over 400 of her prophets, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying this, so may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She's saying by this time tomorrow, Elijah, you will be dead. She wants his life. 
But he himself went a day's journey and into the wilderness. He came and sat down under a broom tree. He has what we would call today PTSD. He has been through a quite traumatic three years. And he asked the Lord that he just might die. She is after him. He's on the chase. They're running to kill him. Can I just die? Can I just die here under this broom tree? He said, is it enough now, O Lord? Just take my life. Take away my life for I'm no better than my fathers, the prophets who had died before him for the Lord. And he laid down and he fell asleep under the broom tree and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, at his head, there was a cake, a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and he lay back down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat, else the journey will be too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went into the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now Horeb is also Sinai, the same mountain of God that Moses had been on. And there he came to a cave and he lodged there and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars. They have slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. Remember when the Lord passed by Moses and he had to hide in the cleft and he couldn't see the Lord. Well, now Elijah is on that same mountain. A great wind, a strong wind rent the mountain and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. And the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for thy people of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've slain your prophets with the sword. And I, even I am the only one left and they seek to take my life away. And the Lord said to him, go, Return your way to Damascus. When you arrive, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Yehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be the king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Saphat, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place. And him who escapes from the sword of Hazel shall Yehu slay. And him who escapes the sword of Yehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed Baal. Now, back to Romans 11. This is the story Paul is thinking of as he writes this letter. And he says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed thy prophets. They have demolished thy altars. I alone am left. They seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. And Paul goes on to say, so too at this present time, there is a remnant, a remnant chosen by grace. Now, what does the Bible mean by a remnant? A remnant is a leftover amount from a larger portion, a larger piece. Quilters know, good quilters know that a lot can be done with a good remnant. They can make beautiful things. Paul says, so too at this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is, by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it sought? 
The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see, and ears that should not hear, down to this very day. Now, where else in the scripture do we hear this? A lot of places. Deuteronomy 29.4, to this day, the Lord has not given you a mind to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. Jeremiah 5, hear this, a foolish, senseless people who have eyes, but see not, who have ears, but hear not. Ezekiel 12.2, son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see, but see not, who have ears to hear, but hear not. Isaiah, who is blind, but my servant, or deaf as my messenger, whom I sent, who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord. He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. Paul will tell the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 that their minds were hardened to this day. When they read the Old Covenant, he's talking about the Jews, many of the Jews, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ can that veil be taken away. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. So Paul has appealed to the prophet Elijah. Now, Paul is going to make an appeal to King David. And you have to know the scriptures, the Old Testament Jewish Hebrew scriptures. Jesus, too, appealed to prophets and kings to get his disciples to understand. We had it just this week at Daily Mass. Jesus privately turned to his disciples and said, Blessed are the eyes which see what you guys see, you twelve around me. For I tell you that many prophets like Elijah and kings like David desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. That's Luke 10. Paul has appealed to the prophet Elijah. Paul is now appealing to King David in Romans 11 when he says, and David says, let their feast become a snare and a trap and a pitfall and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and bend their backs forever. What is Paul possibly saying here? Well, he's quoting Psalm 69. Let their own table become for them a snare. Let their sacrificial feast be a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and make their loins tremble continually. What? What is this about? We don't know unless we have context. David, when he writes and sings Psalm 69, he's referring to 1 Samuel 25. All you good Catholics know what 1 Samuel 25 is about, right? I had to look it up and study it, and I thoroughly enjoyed Enjoyed it. It's about David and the wife of Nabal. Nabal means in Hebrew fool. Fool. David is fleeing from King Saul who wants David dead. Does that sound familiar? Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. Now King Saul wants David dead. Saul is very jealous of David and David must flee for his life. David and his men go to the wilderness of Paran. And there at Carmel, same place Elijah was, they meet a man. He was very, very rich. He had 3,000 sheep, 3,000 goats. He was shearing sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal, which means fool. The name of his wife was Abigail. Abigail, And the woman, Abigail, was of good understanding and she was beautiful. Very few times in scripture does it tell us of a beautiful woman. Abigail's one of the, the rare ones. But the man, her husband, the fool, Nabal, was churlish. He was ill-behaved and he was a Calebite, which means dog. Churlish, I looked it up, means rude in a very mean-spirited, surly way. Now, David was heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing sheep. So David sent 10 men to go to Carmel to greet Nabal by name, to tell him peace. That was part one of Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 11, on Seeking Truth 
with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.